0: in early 2000s, didn't feel like there was any kind of gender discrepancy mm-hmm. it, it just never really occurred to me and never sunk into my mind until very recently maybe a couple of years ago where I look back it's actually true women do have to step back when they start to have a family women are kind of sort of disadvantaged in that way because they have to sort of give up a few years of their career and if for whatever reason they don't earn enough and childcare is expensive, then they have no choice but to really step back from their career. So then I finally started to understand that yes, it's important to empower women because inevitably we are disadvantaged from that perspective.
1: Everybody, welcome to the GMI Rocket Show. I'm your host Roman Zelichenko. I'm a former immigration lawyer turned entrepreneur and the founder of Laborless, which is an immigration tech startup that automates H1B visa compliance and also the founder of GMI Rocket, which is a marketing agency for the immigration world and among other things brings you this show. Today is episode 72. And I'm excited because we are, A, going international. Our guest is calling in from or joining us from the UK, which is really awesome. And number two, we're going to dive into another company that is sort of downstream from the immigration law process. Um, I talk about this a lot on the show, You know, immigration lawyers, at least for me, when I was an attorney, I had sort of blinders on. I was thinking about the visa process, and that's it, right? Once the visa is done, I move on to the next you know, case. But obviously, the person who's receiving a visa uh, to come in and and work in the U.S. or wherever they're going, there's a whole journey. They have to bring their family. They have to bring their stuff. They have to find a place to live, etc. So today's guest is Vivi Himmel, who is the CEO and co-founder of Alto Vita, which is a corporate accommodations tech company platform. So we're going to learn all about Vivi's life and career in the financial space and living around the world for, you know, in different jobs and sort of being on the receiving end of having to travel for work and live in corporate accommodations and, and how that brought Vivi to co-found Alto Vita. The company's growing like crazy. It's a really exciting tech company in the space. So I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. So Vivi, thank you so much for being here. Um and I'm um, thank you. It's, I know thank you, it's, it's Roman. Late.
0: It's so lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: And it's late, so I appreciate you, you know, staying up maybe past your bedtime, I don't know, uh to talk. <laughs> <I
0: appreciate it. laughs> no, thank you so, so much. I'm really delighted to be here.
1: Likewise. So Vivi, I know I started the converse th- this episode with this idea of like immigration is just one part of the whole global mobility process. You know, a-, a lot of my network are immigration lawyers and you know, I think after you practice for a long time, you start to learn more about the process, but of course, when I was just beginning, no one tells me about relocation, no one tells me about finding a home when you're traveling for work, all that, you know, that whole journey. So, I'm excited to learn about sort of you know, where, of course, about Alta Vita, Alta Vita and and, and how it fits into the whole global mobility journey and, and, you know, how it's good for corporates, you know, to consider it versus maybe what the traditional options were. But before we get into all of that, the thing that maybe excites me even more is always learning about the the person. So you yourself have, have also like lived in many different countries, right? So you're in the UK right now, you came over with your family, you have an immigration story as well, right? Yeah, do you want to share? You want to share a little bit about that? You know, if you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. My family is definitely an immigrant family. Um, my great grandmother actually migrated with my grandfather and his brother from China. In um, they're from the Guangdong province, Meixian is the name of the village, and they came to Indonesia. Uh, My father was born in Indonesia. I was born in Indonesia. We're like third generation there. Um, And so being immigrant has always been part of my family. We're Chinese, but living in Indonesia, which has, I would say, uh, only one or two percent Chinese population in a country that is like 250 million people. Uh, by the way, it's it's a bit overlooked sometimes uh, how big Indonesia is. It's such a huge country with uh, such a rich and diverse culture, food, cuisine. Uh, it's it's a true archipelago with thousands of islands, literally. And um, I was sent to boarding school in Australia uh, by my parents, my siblings, and I went to Australia. it was kind of like a second home for us. I I was there since I was 11. And then I did go through high school there. And for whatever reason, I was really intrigued uh, of the US at the time. It was in the 90s, kind of like that culture. And so I set myself to take the SAT test, Hmm. Um, going against my parents' will. I went to the US for university. They came around e- eventually and all of uh, all of them went to send me to um, Ann Arbor <laughs> on January the 1st when we landed. Wow. It was literally white everywhere, snowing. Um, but yeah, so I, I spent three and a half years in Ann Arbor. And then I was recruited by Credit Suisse during my final year of, of university. So I started. My first job in New York, um, that was about five years during the time I was relocated a couple of times from New York to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to London. so I've been through the whole journey myself as an assignee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had actually a fabulous experience. I felt hugely valued by my employers at the time. Um, I received all the benefits, the temp housing. Uh, I also had like agents driving me around London and Hong Kong at the time to find my permanent home. And I had the medical benefit, tax advice, immigration was taken care of. I never had to put together too much paperwork. Um, it was a brilliant experience and I would have done it again and again. Um, but when I moved to London, I felt like I finally found home in a way because... Um, for the first time, I felt like I was able to be myself in a way because mm-hmm. London is literally melting pots, right? Um, there's all the Europe. I mean, before Brexit, it was so easy for any European to work in the UK. So you get to meet very diverse mm-hmm. Europeans, the so Romanians, Italians, Lithuanians, and so on. Um, and of course there is the Asian population, the American population, and everyone gets to be themselves. They don't have to sort of assimilate in a way. And that's why I know a lot of people are attracted to living in London. It's because it's very international. Yes, of course, the quality of life can be quite harsh because cost of living is very high here. And when I moved here, this was in 2008, pound was two to one dollars. Two pounds was... Sorry, two dollars was equals to one pound. So everything was just very expensive. But Mm -hmm. it was exciting for me. And and I decided to sort of settle here. Although I I spent a lot of time as well in Tokyo, in Hong Kong. Uh, I spent a lot of time at home. And my mother was ill at the time. So I was essentially traveling between Tokyo, London, and Jakarta every six weeks. But anyway, so... My life is full of immigration, full of being <laughs> exposed to different culture. I mean, this is what I love about working at Alta Vita in global mobility. get to meet very similar-minded people. who get exposed to very global and diverse culture. Um, and I love history, anthropology, all of this around understanding human behavior, the psychology, and why, why people do the things they do. And kind of like work backwards and then make sense out of it. That's what I enjoy doing, and I think this is what um, Vita is all about. It, it is really the essence of culture, multiculturalism, um, and and being global.
1: I, I do love that about our industry, especially if you're in, you know, really interested in sort of human behavior and why mm. certain cultures adapt certain behaviors. You know, like if you try, I mean, a, 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 maybe this is a standard. Uh, example but you know you go to Japan for example and you have to as far as i remember when i've been there a few times you know you hand money with two hands for example versus one when you interact mm. with somebody or you know bowing is not something that folks do in the us but and it's and it's it's so interesting to be able to be exposed to different uh kind of uh yeah like different cultural norms i i do love that about this industry and mm. you, you get to meet people and travel around who are from all over um i also realized that I feel like if you yourself travel quite a bit, and this is not bro- groundbreaking, but you become more tolerant mm-hmm. of different cultures because yeah. you've seen so much. You know,
2: yeah,
1: it's it's uh it's one of those things. I, I'm curious. I have a question for you. For to go back in time a little bit, um, you said that against your parents' will, you you know, you decided to the <laughs> SBTs and, and go mm-hmm. to the U.S. But w- what did they want you to do? I mean, you were already in Australia studying, and obviously, you know, they wanted to give you some educational opportunities outside of Indonesia. So what, mm-hmm. what were they thinking for you, if they had any sort of plan for you?
0: They wanted me to stay in Australia. Um, it was like our second home, right? My mm-hmm. like my parents um, created a life for us there. They bought a house, bought a car, they sent us great schools in Australia. Um, and they wanted to consolidate us there. I mean, if, if I were parents, I would have done the same. Um, and then suddenly like you have the daughter, I was, I'm a middle child who is like kind of quiet, but, uh, introvert, but rebellion at the same time. Um, and I guess it it didn't fit in with their consolidation strategy, um, (laughs) with having all of us there, but in the end, they were so supportive. Um, And like I said, everyone in my family, my sister, my brother, my parents, both of them flew with me to Ann Arbor, you know, Mm -hmm. of all places, Ann Arbor in the US in the middle of winter. And that just shows how in the end, uh, they conceded to supporting me and, um, all through and through were there for me.
1: (laughs) How important do you think it was? Because that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, your family, from your great grandmother and grandfather moving from China to Indonesia, and then obviously your parents moved, or at least spent time between Indonesia and Australia, um, right? Or or did your family just move to Australia full time?
0: No, not full time. So um, a lot of their work was still in Indonesia. So Australia really just kind of a second home. A sanctuary where life was much simpler, right? Um Mm. in fact we lived in Perth and a lot of things were closed in the evening, so it's super relaxed, chillax lifestyle versus in Jakarta where gosh you're surrounded by a traffic jam, lots of people and yeah, (laughs) it's a different lifestyle.
2: Yeah. So but at the same time
0: in terms of opportunity, I mean Indonesia is I mean was and is full of opportunity literally if you work hard and are able to kind of think smart there's a there's a lot more that you can achieve
1: Hmm. did you ever think or did your family ever think of you know having a building your career there in 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 indonesia or i mean was it was the idea go you know australia and because i also i now that i think about it australia is of course much closer to Indonesia than America yeah. is. So it was like, why would you go to America if you have everything you need here in Australia?
0: That's true. Precisely. That's exactly what they were thinking. Um, yeah. That's what they were thinking. But then I felt like it wasn't enough. I felt like I wanted to broaden my horizon even mm-hmm. more. I mean, Australia is a great country, uh, it's very blessed. Um, has got great culture, um, education system, healthcare system. It's, it's like second to none, essentially. Like Melbourne, um, is always one of the top places to live, right? Alongside Vancouver, or Toronto, or like mm-hmm. Copenhagen, uh, Switzerland, mm-hmm. the Swiss cities. Uh, so it was such a great country, but to me, it just wasn't enough. Um, just think of, but economically versus the U.S., Australia was like 25 million people. Um, the U.S. was like 300 million people. in the level of um, economic development, GDP, and just kind of like—I guess I was so young. And when when I was young, you just want to feel like you want to conquer the world. You just want yeah. to kind of taste everything that you yeah. can reach within your hands. So why not? And. Yeah. And I guess, you know, in the 90s, everything about the American culture was so prevalent everywhere. Um, You get to see it from TV. And I didn't want to just see it from the TV. I wanted to experience it myself.
1: It's fascinating. My family moved to the U.S. in uh, 1990. We had some family here already. But, you know, I think uh, we came from, you know, present day Ukraine. I mean, it was the Soviet Union at the time. Mm. Um, and it was just one of those things where, yeah, I mean, American culture, even then was, it was everywhere. You know, you get clothes yeah. from America. Everyone knows if you're wearing something that was from America type of thing. <laughs> um, that, that's cool. And, and you know, I was going to ask, how important do you think it, it, it is, you know, to have had your such supportive parents? Because you obviously, you know, if they thought America was it, well, guess what? Surprise, I'm going to London, and then I'm going to Hong Kong and everything else. So <laughs> You know, have they been sort of supportive of your kind of global career and journey uh, this whole time?
0: Yeah, they accepted it. I think they probably (laughs) knew it since um, then when I sent myself to the U.S. And and after that, they kind of accepted it and supported me. They always came to visit me everywhere I was. So I spent... Six months in Shanghai, they came to Shanghai. I was working in Hong Kong; they came to Hong Kong a few times. Um, I was living in Tokyo; they would come to Tokyo. They would come to wherever I was, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was really nice and it, important for me to to have a support. Um, my mom, my mom who I adored. Um, my mom passed away in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent about five years before she passed away, uh, really kind of living at home. Um, spending a lot of time with her supporting her and my family my family business um, but and you know she was a very strong character and and she's the reason why I am who I am in many many ways um mm-hmm. and also she always challenged me she was always um, inspiring me to be someone strong and you know for many reasons when I was, Growing up, up until about recently, I didn't understand why there was a special treatment for a female to be empowered. I mean, for a long time, I felt like we're just the same. Why should we be treated differently? Um, because I had such a strong mother figure, which mm-hmm. kind of like never was there any inequality in gender growing mm-hmm. up. Plus, I went to girls' school, boarding school. And uh, when I was in the U.S., it was in early 2000, didn't feel like there was any kind of gender discrepancy. Mm-hmm. It, it just never really occurred to me and never sunk into my mind until very recently, maybe a couple of years ago, where I look back. It's actually true. Women do have to step back when they start to have a family. Women are kind of sort of disadvantaged in that way, because they have to sort of give up a few years of their career. And if for whatever reason, they don't earn enough and childcare is expensive, then they have no choice but to really step back from their career. So then I finally started to understand that, yes, it's important to empower women because inevitably we are disadvantaged from that
2: perspective.
1: You know, it's it's fascinating that, you know, you had this example of a strong woman in your life, you know, your mother and that how that impacted how you took in society, how you went to work. I mean, I'm even because I'm curious about, you know, when you started to, you know, you said you were recruited for, to Credit Suisse, you started working in New York. I mean, finance in New York is the most cutthroat industry, right? I worked in finance, I worked in uh, fintech and also at some banks in when I was in college. And uh, you know, I'll go on record and say this: there was a bro kind of, you know, in quotes culture, right? A, <laughs> yes, it, it felt yes. it felt that way on Wall Street. Obviously, that's an overgeneralization, but that was a stereotype that, you know, to some extent was validated and at least historically, at least in the past. But you know, it seems that you not only thrived, you know, not only survived, but you thrived and you you took international uh, assignments and things like that. So I, I'm curious. I think this would be an interesting segue. Did you ever feel like you have to take international assignments to move yourself up in your career? Or were you, you know, and and Mm -hmm. from this perspective of like, you know, I need to empower myself or were you just, you know, going with the flow and the opportunity came up and you went for it and you didn't even think about the context and, and things like that?
0: Oh, wow. Super deep question. I love the question, by the way. Never thought about it like that. To me, so the year was 2006. After two years in New York, felt like China was booming. (laughs) I guess I was always going where the magnets was. You know, Mm -hmm. in the 90s, I felt like it was the US. And then uh, 2006, it was Asia. Asia was, like, thriving. And I wanted to be part of the explosion. And so that's when I went to Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. I could have gone to Singapore. I picked Hong Kong because Hong Kong, I mean, at the time... Those two years in Hong Kong were one of the best times of my life, really, because I had so much opportunity. Um, In New York, yes, it was great. You get to learn a ton, and there was a lot more structure, Um, get proper training, and um, there is like hierarchy, and you learn from like the smartest people. But, and in Hong Kong, yes, you get that as well, but the structure was less rigid, there's less people. And I was able to step up in so many ways. I was already executing deals myself. Whereas in New York, I would have, I was an analyst. I would have had to work with an associate, a VP, director, and an MD <laughs> in one deal. Uh, whereas in Asia, it was like either myself and a VP. And then wow. we would be executing like an IPO or a pipe deal or an MNA ourselves. And it was such a tremendous experience. And that's why I was pulled and I was compelled to explore that region. And having been there just before the financial crisis, um, at the peak of the economy, it was like, it's an experience I would have done again and again. Mm. And the reason why I went to London, why I chose to send myself to London was because I went to, um, I did two road shows for two IPOs, um, mm. one summer in 2007. Okay. And that was my first time being in Europe, actually <laughs> being in London. And I, I felt like, wow, it's such a great city. Mind you, I was here in July. The weather was fabulous. Um, <laughs> And it was like blue sky and you get you start the day at like 7 a.m. It's already bright and then it doesn't get dark until 9 or 10 sometimes. And the culture was, like I said, it was like so attractive because you get to meet so many diverse culture, right? Like mm-hmm. All of the Europeans were in London. Basically, the world was in London. So after that roadshow, I went back to Hong Kong. The first thing I did was I spoke to my boss. Can you send me to London? Wow, and because I was doing so well um, in my career at the time, like he didn't even blink, okay, fine you, you got it, and then a year later, um well, actually, a month later, my transfer was approved, and then a year later I was in London Wow, and I've been here since then yeah, Thank so. You.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it, and that's kind of what I was getting to. Like, I imagine myself, if I was in a position like that, I might be, you know, I think the instinct for many people would be to doubt whether or not they can go from the very structured, you know, realm of finance in New York, you have an associate and a associate and a VP and an MD and all these people to yeah. going somewhere where like really more responsibility falls on you. It takes a certain type of person to say, Oh, for sure, I can do that. I just need the opportunity you know, which is, it sounds like what you did. Um, and and I think that's, I think that's a, a really commendable. And I feel like, you know, I, I'm, and this is kind of in my mind, segueing to maybe the next question. But I think probably that skill set, maybe I'm projecting here, but I feel like that skill set is crucial to being a co founder, or, you know, founding a company that, the sort of determination and the, the confidence that at least your idea works, you know, maybe you're going to mm-hmm. get bumps in the road, have bumps in the road when you're executing, but you feel confident with, a decision that you're making, you know, and to start a company and to continue to try to build that company every day, there's a million things trying to pound you down and you have to kind of get past it and know that you're doing the right thing. So I feel like it's cool that you shared that story because it sort of shows that even early on in your career, you were the kind of person who was like, that is a great opportunity and I'm going to go for it. You know, however I have to get there, I'm going to go for it, uh, which is really cool. So, so you, at this point you you did the roadshow, show um, and this was international, right? I mean, you were going from Hong Kong, you were going around the, the I guess, Europe, it sounds like for the road trip. Yeah.
0: Um, so the deals were for, uh, one of them was for real estate investment fund in um, mm. the underlying real estate were in Southeast Asia, so Cambodia and Vietnam. Um, the other one was a media company, uh, kind of like an Asian company, Asia Pacific media company. But we were going to Europe and the UK because that's where we were marketing to um, the investors' base.
1: Mm. Did you, so was that in in the sense that this was international travel, so you got, you know, had the immigration process involved and you had to stay. Because what I'm trying to get at here Mm -hmm. is when did you start having more experiences in sort of the international, you know, corporate accommodations world? Like when did you become the person Ah, who, you know, had to stay at apartments and hotels and things like that?
0: Yeah, so um, of course, it's time I was sent on assignment I stayed in corporate accommodation and um each time I was relocated I would have been given like one month of temporary living they would call it um before I was able to secure a long term lease mm. so usually you know relocation packages come with this temporary living to give the assignees or transferees an anchor of mm-hmm. home so that at least one thing is sorted whilst there are so many f- other fluid elements of the relocation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I think to answer your question, how did I get into this sector is because after uh, five years in investment banking, I did eight years of real estate portfolio management where my job was really to identify distressed assets, um, buy it and turn it around into a cash flowing asset or, uh, enter into a partnership, be it hospitality or commercial and sell it on. Um, so my job was really to manage balance sheet risks, capital risks and, um, hard real estate. And, and
1: just, just to clarify for those <laughs> who may not be, uh, you know, like finance professionals, the idea was, um like real estate so properties, real estate buildings maybe or plots or something like that that were either in really large in debt or maybe unused or something like that. It was like when you say distressed is that what you mean and you would you would yeah. you would buy them and then um would you have to like renovate or do you sort of just like what did it mean to go from taking it from a distressed asset to a cash flow generating asset?
0: Yeah, indeed, renovate. Um so I mean, some, some of the deals that I was working on with really complex, um, complex commercial industrial assets as well. Um, first, you need to make sure that there are the right licenses to operate, um, the right licenses to build, extend, and then get in, into a partnership with, um, kind of like a developer, real estate developer to develop the project. And then if it is like a commercial or industrial, then we'd need to find the right tenant in place. Wow. Once the tenant is in place, it's been renovated and you have the right licenses, then you can sell it on as a package deal.
1: Wow. yeah, That's the whole soup to nuts of real estate, basically, yeah. except for like building a, a building from scratch. So do you think yeah. that at this time you were starting to make connections in the real estate industry? Because clearly you're now, you know, yeah. Alto Vita is, is is in the real estate space. I mean, right. And and so d- d- does, did that start to, um, you spent eight years in real estate uh, in doing this type of work uh, before you kind of launched Alto Vita. So I want to get to that moment in a, in a second of where like the idea, you know, came and and, and where when you took mm-hmm. those first steps. But do you think you started to kind of build that network of people that you then maybe eventually leveraged or at least reached out for help or support when you finally launched?
0: Yes, I think at that moment, I mean, this is the year was 2017, basically, when the idea came, um, when I met Carolina, and when we did a lot of research, Um, but the light bulb moment at the time for me was this phrase, essentially, you better Uber yourself there or you get Kodak. Have you heard of that phrase? I only heard it for the first time uh, when I was in Venice last Friday. I was at an event called the Bolt Award. Alta Vita was nominated uh, for our open innovation. And this guy, he was presenting about the future of the world and immortality and, and so on and so forth. But um, I mean, I didn't really buy into this presentation, but this phrase really stuck with me. And I mean, that's super clever. <laughs> you better Uber yourself there or otherwise you get Kodak. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's precisely what I had experienced. I felt like I was seeing how everything was being Uberized. You know, Airbnb was this darling unicorn, and I was managing hard brick and mortar assets. hmm Um, I was seeing how they expanded exponentially without owning any assets without being exposed to working capital Hmm. and having limited exposure to balance sheet risks. So that notion really opened my eyes and, um, my, my friend, uh, his name is Rona. He came to London to visit me, um, a few, a couple of summers and he asked, he kept asking me, Hey, let's do something. Let's do like something related to tech. And I kept thinking, look, I don't want to kind of explore into a completely different industry where I don't understand or have to learn from scratch. I understand real estate. I get hospitality and I'm attracted to tech. Although I don't, I just basically don't understand anything about it. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we can just get like an outsourced developer or something. So I trusted him. You know, Okay, okay, you you got the guts. And I think I have some sort of knowledge in, in the industry. So we created this concept of... Um, well, at the time, we didn't even know what the concept was. <laughs> but we kind of knew what the business model was supposed to be. And then uh, Ronald said, let's meet uh, Carolina. She's also, uh, her family's also in real estate. Maybe there's something there. And so he put us together. Um, The three of us were, were, actually there were four of us. They were four founders. Um, We're kind of like in a WhatsApp group. We're just Mm -hmm. kind of bouncing ideas. You know, what should we do? And everyone presented their own idea. And um, we didn't know what, the company would would be called and so we came out with Alta Vita because we really like the latin word uh we wanted to be a word that is so easy to pronounce um not an english word right because like actually a lot of people don't know how to pronounce english words very well <laughs> that's that's what i thought anyway um in any case um so Ronak introduced me to Carolina, and we hit it off from the get-go. Um, we have very similar values, similar work ethic, and we can almost read each other's mind. Makes it easy for for the working relationship. So um, instead of like debating, we just focus on the execution. And yeah, so that's that's how Vita was born. We launched the platform in. January 2018. Um, And at first it was really just to standardize and provide quality assurance to the alternative type of accommodation like Airbnb. That's why we have a very stringent four-tier quality control process, duty of care. Um, But that was the genesis of the business. Um, And then we only found the product market fit after testing The platform with different marketing channel and saw that it was the relocation partners corporate clients who truly resonated with what we were offering and so with any uh startup principle you you want to focus in something that works so that was what we have been working on now in the past i don't know three and a half years almost four years
1: (laughs) wow what a journey and it's only been three and a half years and i feel like Alto Vita has gone from you know WhatsApp group to you know awards and and, which is really incredible. (laughs) That's really cool. So, Bibi, I think this is a perfect time for me to ask you, what is Alto Vita? How does it work?
0: What is Alto Vita? Um, In global mobility, Alto Vita is an enterprise software. We streamline these complex processes that relocation consultants or counselors have to go through in finding accommodation for their assignees. Um, we have different processes, um and the way we differentiate ourselves is really with an API first technology that integrates with many property management systems directly so that we have instant and seamless flow of content, um, which we then package into streamlined processes. And then the beauty of AltaVita is is that it's fast and it's agile. Um, We deep dive into clients' pain points and really map out their processes and then um, give them the right solution. So... I think that every client is very different. Um, some of them require one authorization, some require two, um, and we can customize everything according to their workflow. It, that's a very long answer to what Alto B does.
1: No, that's a, it, it's a great answer, and and I guess you know what what I'm curious about is what what did the process look like before? I mean, you're obviously innovating on something that people do right now, mm-hmm. but in a, maybe in a more manual way or something like that. So, you know, and, and maybe this is my slight ignorance because I'm more focused on the immigration side and I, mm-hmm. I don't know the reload side from a corporate ho- housing perspective as much. Like, how, how does it look now? And, and, and by the way, before you answer that question, I imagine that whatever you describe right now, many companies are still doing. Um, and so the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the thing for me is like what you're seeing as the past you know where Alto Vita is the present and the future for many people it's probably still the present, whatever the you know old way of doing it is. Mm. So I, I'm curious, like what are what's the process today that you're innovating on? Um, yeah, how does how does it work today and bef- without yeah. Alto Vita?
0: So let's say you're a consultant at a relocation company, um, and you are handling. 20, 10 to 20 cases well, at any given time. And in those cases, you need to sort out their immigration, maybe spousal support, education, and then temp housing, right? And the way they do it, they would be essentially sending an email to a few temp housing partners. So they would be, let's say, send five emails. Hey, I'm looking for a two bedroom apartment in Paris checking date this time and it will be for 60 days budget as such so then they will re- they will send those out and then they will receive replies back in, in the form of five different emails and they will be literally consolidating um, maybe 15 or 20 options because each email will come in with maybe three to five so then they will put pick the best three or five options, um, to send out to either the assignee or transfer or the corporate for yet another authorization or approval stage. So they will be copying and pasting three options into a fresh new email to send to their contact in the corporate. And then the corporate will say, okay, uh, maybe two out of three is approved. They will send the email back to the consultant or the counselor. And then the counselor would then create a brand new, yet again, fresh email with those properties to send to the transferee. Wow. And then the transfer receive uh, the email to say, okay, I want, let's go with option one. And then the counselor received a reply, and then emailed yet again the temp housing partner for that property, Mm. only to find out that I'm sorry, it's no longer available.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have a headache already.
0: Yeah, so it's it's, it already takes like a few days process, and all of this is done via email, copying and pasting, and um, sometimes if there is no link then it's like a pdf mm-hmm. and you know you let's say you're an employee of like a of like a fortune 500 companies you're getting your options in pdf
2: mm-hmm. and
0: when you say i want option one your told is no longer available so the process starts again <sighs> <laughs>
1: I'm like I'm like exhausted even listening to that. I, I yeah, it, it's it's unbelievable. So and and as you're as you're talking through that, I'm thinking number one inventory issues. We don't have real time information in terms of inventory because by the time it gets from A to person G, its inventory is gone. Number two is direct line of communication maybe between the individual who wants the who needs the housing and the housing provider and then i'm thinking like at some point even when they do agree there's probably some collect you know oh send me your documents and then okay great and then i need this information and fill out this form and it's probably just you know in for data management too on the individuals Mm. the relocate the signees side right um so so great that's a great (laughs) a frustrating but a great picture of how it works and perhaps how it used to what's the like I guess, where's the value proposition for uh, uh, Alto Vita? Because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to picture in my head, you know, uh-huh. now there's a software. So what are the things that that your your company um, automates or maybe takes out of the picture completely or, or whatever?
0: Yeah. So um, the way we do it differently, and it depends on the journey, whether it's like a fully managed where you really need to curate like five best options or would it be more like core flex, slum sum, um, more independent, more autonomous way of selecting accommodation. So if it's the first one, like fully managed, then, um, we provide kind of like human curation in a way. So we, we literally study the request. Sometimes it can be really complex, right? In the relocation, 50% of the cases are complex. Like, mm-hmm. Here is a family of five, plus two pets, plus plants, and um, they're moving to a remote location because it's an oil and gas company. It can be that complex, in which case then, yes, the human-centric approach is very much needed here. So we would be providing, let's say, five best curated options for this location, Calgary in Canada. Oil, oil sand project and um it's it's a house and you know the houses can accommodate pets and so on so five best options we sent essentially send out to the consultant and the consultant can come into the platform and see all of the different options kind of thoughtfully categorize and they can just approve and not approve approve and not approve Mm. and if indeed they need an authorization from the corporate then they can just send directly to the corporate and the corporate will will get the email come into the platform they will see the three options and again they can just click or unclick whatever they Mm. approve or not and then depending on the process it can be sent directly to the employee or sent back to the consultant for the consultant to send to the employee Mm-hmm. So there, there's no copying and pasting. You don't have to create brand new, fresh email each time. You can just come in there and kind of like click, unclick, click, unclick, send.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which of anyway. course means that there's no error. There's no transfer of information yeah. error. What about for more streamlined? I mean, that's, a, that's definitely a really complicated case. What about for your average corporate that's sending, you know, a team of analysts or, or, or regularly sends analysts mm-hmm. or associates from New York to London, for example? Uh, yeah, so
0: if it's like kind of like a, a younger digital population, then we can create policies. Um, so let's say, let's say we have two levels of employees. One is an analyst, another is as an associate. Um, they're going to Hong Kong, London, Paris, New York, LA, San Francisco, so the big cities. So we can create a policy for um, for an analyst. Let's say hundred dollars per night for New York an associate can book up to $150 per night in in New York. And the same with, you know, London, every city can have a different budget because it's obviously different. Um, Living costs, just different standard. And so that's kind of ingested into the platform. And then we generate links and then, within those links, we can even set up whether or not the employees can see the price or not. So you can hide prices and they can even, um, have some sort of constraint. IE if you're a single, then you should, you should not be allowed to book more than two bedroom. Mm -hmm. If you're a family of five then you can book up to four bedroom, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, it will all be ingested into the platform, links are generated, when they receive the link, then they can just kind of <clears throat> um, book whatever they want within the compliance or be, within the budgets that has been set by the platform.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and is the client here the corporate, so the employer, or is it sort of an RMC? Um, like, who, who's the main kind of user here?
0: Yeah, I mean, it depends. We work with both corporates and RMCs. So mm-hmm. um, it really, every case is different. And um, the way we approach it is very much a partnership with our clients, be it an RMC or corporate. We really try to get to know who they are, how they work. We create a playbook um, for them so that the team knows exactly how to handle them. Even um, mm-hmm. an RMC client, then we really get to know the corporates as well so let's say it's an rmc1 and the corporate a b c d and e and f and g and we know exactly what to do with corporate a corporate c corporate e and so on
2: Hmm. wow
0: every every company's different workflow and our job is to get to know how they work and adjust our workflow accordingly
1: so it's like it's it's like it's a b it's a it's a it's a platform, like a, it's a SaaS platform, but then at the same time, there's an onboarding process where, uh, because it's a B2B relationship, it sounds like when when they come onto the platform, you work out a way to have the platform be almost customized to their policies, to their budgets, yeah. to their needs. And so I'm assuming that when they have to kick off a request for accommodation, all that information is there. They maybe, I mean, I'm making this up, but maybe put in dates and a location, and then it gives you a list, and then you send it off to the right people, So something yeah. like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, not every case is like that, but yeah, one of the cases yeah. can be like that.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, of course, it's such a complicated thing uh, that <laughs> there's definitely it no, not you know. Be, this... but
0: it is in in the b <laughs> world. It is, and it can be, yeah, <laughs> it can be unnecessarily complicated.
1: So, what are you know? Uh, what are some of the things that maybe you're 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 working on? Um, whatever you can share, but also like, what are you hoping for the future of uh, this, the the accommodation or the corporate housing space within um, relocation? And I asked this in part because number one, you know, work from home, quote, work from anywhere, quote, right, is, is growing. Like it's not going anywhere. Uh, and so a lot more people are working from home. On the other hand, because of remote work, I think a lot more people either are or will ask to mo ro- to work ar- around the world. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so maybe there will be more international assignments, not because they need to go to, you know, launch a team or to oversee a work site, but because they want to go, and the company, you know, is going to help accommodate them because they want to keep that talent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- what do you think about that? Like, and, and how do you view maybe where Alto Vita fits into where the sort of the world is going from a remote work perspective?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very simple. Uh, Honestly, we have this thesis that is basically um, the driving trend where Vita is betting on in that more and more people will be moving without furniture, so they want ready-made, fully furnished homes, be it for one month, two months, six months, or a year. And there will be less and less demand for long-term leases where it's like an empty shell. You need to furnish yourself and you need to call utility company, gas company, internet company to set up your home. Everyone is just wanting to move into ready-made homes. And this is a lot of it is what I experienced when I was living in Shanghai. I stayed in a service apartment for six months. When I was in Tokyo, I didn't want to call the Wi Fi company. I wanted to move in, like, I just want to bring my suitcase and stay there for six months. Um, and I think this is where the trend is. That's why Alta Vita specializes in fully furnished homes. Anything that is fully furnished and full, like, kind of ready made, ready to move in we don't do long-term leases like where you need to call your utility company or buy furniture. And that's kind of the one big trend we're betting on.
1: And, and I'm just curious, this question came to mind, but is there sort of a design aspect? I mean, do you ever, you know, you want the apartments to look nice. And I saw some of the pictures on the website, they're, you know, really like sleek looking apartments, really nice. Um, it, 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 does that, is that a factor of, of you know, in, in, uh, the inventory I guess or you know do some people not care and they're okay with a Hilton hotel just a basic looking apartment
0: um so our audience is corporates and their employees mm-hmm. and so it needs to be off a minimum corporate standard so yes it may not be um modern it might not be like I don't know like Da Vinci style design but it is, it has the right amenities, you know, it has the right toiletries, um, cattle, coffee machine, whatever you need to have a decent life. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And what your employers um, want to make you feel like, like they they want to make you feel valued at the end of the day, relocation is difficult. Be it self-initiated or initiated by the company, you want to have a decent experience. So it's not luxurious, but it's basic standard and it's it's decent.
2: And one that's the what things, we try for. Mm-hmm.
1: And and I was going to say one of the other things that you and I have spoke about before before going on the air here um, was like your commitment to kind of transparency, especially we talked you talked about the supply chain and and okay. sustainability around corporate housing. To me, that's really important because I, I care greatly about um, transparency and sustainability and not, as you've said before, not greenwashing, but like actually understanding what you're purchasing and what the sort of downstream effects are from a sustainability standpoint. Um, so I want to ask this question probably selfishly because I want to know, and this is something that I can champion, um, mm-hmm. but uh, like how, what are your views on sustainability and sort of how is that built into the Alto Vita uh, platform?
2: yeah
0: um so everyone I speak to says that they want to be net zero by twenty thirty, mm-hmm. and a lot of them also say that um they want like half the volume, twice the experience, and they want sustainable apartments. It's the same common theme I keep hearing when I speak to clients. For the hospitality sector to be able to demonstrate carbon emission per night per property, which is the most ideal, in um, it's at the moment not feasible. That is the future. This is where everyone is striving towards to, but it's not. Possible because you need a coordinated efforts between the gas company, the electricity company. Um, you need to know exactly the materials you use in the recycling program, water treatment program, and so on. It's a lot of data. Many companies don't even have the bandwidth to to do that, to pay for it, and so on. We did a survey earlier this year um, of between our supply chain, which consists of 1700 operators around the world. And you can count by hand, how many were able to demonstrate proper sustainable practice without greenwashing. Wow. And so AltaVita as an aggregator, um, a company who thoroughly vets the operators and the properties, our job duty and responsibility is really to make sure that the information we deliver in our platform is truthful, is credible. And what we think is feasible is first and foremost, remove greenwashing as much as possible. So we're launching this feature that essentially is backed by geotagging technology that allows operators to be able to evidence their sustainable practice for that property. So you can't lie that, you know, you can't take a picture of another property to claim this is your property because of the geotagging. And so it's not enough to say that, yes, I have recycling program. Um, what we would encourage them to do is, okay, if you say you have recycling program, then show us how it looks like so that they can be Mm -hmm. uploading their geotech image or video to evidence. The fact that you do have recycling and how it looks like exactly at that property.
2: Mm. That's awesome. so it's
0: a small, small effort. I think, um, but it's an effort that is tangible. It's not just some number pulled out of nowhere um, that claims, yes, it's like minus thirty uh, CO two emission or something like that. It's mm. it's not. It is um, truthfully translating exactly what the operators does at the property um, and eliminating any potential greenwashing issue
1: yeah I love that um, it's also something that you know it, it's it's something that companies are starting to care about thankfully more and more because more and more research is coming out that like we mm-hmm. have to we have to curb emissions. I mean, we really, really do. Uh, and and I think a lot of different companies and in, in, in industries that never thought about sustainability at all, forget about, you know, water bottles and plastic, that's just, you know, but you think about travel, uh, and and the trucks driving your furniture and the airplane, the flight, and how what about the light bulbs at the at the at the building and things like that. So I love that you're doing this, because um, I also imagine that if Alto Vita is part of a corporate supply chain, you know, if this is how you if this, if a company provides international housing for their employees through Alto Vita, and if they can utilize your sustainability reporting or standards or whatnot as part of, you know, their kind of uh, partner list or vendor list or supply chain, it, it it helps the company, it helps the employer, your client, be more sustainable. So the transparency and the sort of the sustainability uh, benefit trickles down from the building and your actual properties. To your to alto Vita from a reporting standpoint, and then pass is passed on to your clients, um, which obviously is is fantastic so kudos like com- I commend you for this because I think it's important that you're you're actually working on this and not just you know talking about it or yeah so i I, I love that
0: <laughs> yeah I mean like, yeah I, I think that there's a lot of talk um about the talk <laughs> and for us because we are a technology company we can really make fast real impact um well not impact initiative which i hope will be impactful to the industry
1: yeah i think it will and i think you're leading by example too Um, because not for nothing, but larger companies sometimes look at smaller or new, you know, newer, younger companies, um, Mm -hmm. doing something and the newer companies are the ones that are more innovative and are pushing. And so maybe the impact is greater by the bigger, maybe older companies, but they'll be motivated by you and, you know, hopefully me and other kind of more startup, uh, companies to, to innovate. So I, I think there is impact already. Um, it's initiative and I think there is impact. Um, so I, want to kind of, I like to end on a, you know, thank you. This has been just a fascinating, and I feel like I've learned so much about, uh, corporate housing and, and, um, you know, this, this part of the process, because honestly, you know, I'll I'll tell you one small thing. I maybe have said this before in prior episodes. Um, you know, when I went into into immigration law, I love to travel. And so when I went into immigration law, I thought, amazing, I'm going to have clients all over the world. I'm going to get to travel for work never i never got to travel for it right all the <laughs> all the clients are coming into the us three years, um, yeah and, and then i and then i left uh, immigration i worked in a fintech uh, company in new york for uh, 2 to 3 years and we had offices all over the world and again i was like this is amazing i'm going to get to you know go on assignment to you know london or, or, or uh, india or somewhere never went once you know i was lucky if i could go mm-hmm. to work at, if i could work out of another office in new york that was like a fun trip um, and so I only got to travel for work, ironically enough, when I started my own business. And of course, mm. you know, I'm a startup, let's be real. I'm not, there's no corporate accommodations. There's calling my friends and asking if I could sleep on their couch. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I love, you know, I love to get to learn about this because I think it's obviously there's so much business travel that happens. We we learned about that during COVID when, uh, you know, borders were closed and we, all of a sudden the news was talking about how big of a percentage airlines, revenue comes from business travel Mm -hmm. and hotels and accommodation around hotels. And so you realize, wow, business travel is a huge part of global movement. So, you know, I I appreciate you sharing all this about the industry, because I've definitely learned a lot. And I hope people watching and listening learned a lot. Um, I like to end with sort of a fun or maybe kind of different question. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm curious, you've lived in a lot of different, uh, a lot of different uh, cities. And, and you, you kind of said that when you were moving around, especially in your earlier life, it was kind of to the next big, where is it exploding? I want to go there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And now you've you're, you're sort of settled in, in London. I'm curious, is London the place that you think you want to be? Or do you think that like, there will ever be a, you know, a dream to kind of move to you could say Hawaii, or something? Uh, or do you think like your 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 kind of London is the place where you found it all?
0: Yeah, great question. Um oh, Well,
1: you don't um, have to share if if it's a if if you don't know, you don't have to share.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. I do know. It's just like I haven't thought about it in a while. Um but my husband and I we've been toying with the idea of potentially moving to the U S at some point, back to the U S and, and for very, very practical reason. Mm. And perhaps it's rather politically incorrect to state all the reasons, but, um, well, the U S is still a superpower, Mm. you know, and, At the moment, in our view, the US is exporting a lot of the inflation to other countries, right? Um, It's a harsh fact. And many countries are dependent on the US for peace. You know, Ukraine is definitely depending on the US to get military assistance. And that's just one example. Europe at the moment has very weak military, right? Um, it's just complacency of the world too. The world has been peaceful and it has been, and it's just so complacent. Um, and so it's not for free, all of these kind of, let's say peace protection systems, it's not, it's not free there has to be an economic exchange between the continents, between the U.S. continent versus Europe and the rest of the world, really. Um, And so economically speaking, it makes sense to live in the U.S. where um, lifestyle is probably better, the pay is better. And that's because on the the line, fundamentally, the U.S. is financing, uh, sorry, the, the U.S. is so to speak, keeping the world peace, and then Mm -hmm. the rest of the world is financing the US.
2: Mm.
0: So from a personal perspective, makes sense to be there because of these economic slash um, military forces that are surrounding us where we are today at this point of the century.
1: Yeah, it's crazy to think about (laughs) that. Now, you know, it's crazy to think that uh, the everyday conversations between people like war and military has entered the conversation. I mean, yeah. war has been going on forever, whether it's bigger or smaller, but it definitely feels a little bit more prevalent now. Um, I, I will say, you know, it's interesting because I know you grew up sort of living in Australia. Um, I've always wanted to live in Australia. And for me, that was always the place that's like, it's, it's surrounded by ocean It feels really far away from everybody and just like the ideal place. Um, Do you think you'd ever want to go kind of live back there? Or do you feel at this point that, you know, you have such a global footprint? Um, And and by the way, this is nothing against Australia. I love, I'm dying, dying to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, gosh, I feel like it's still quite true. Like we, I, you know, I I do want to be where the center of, Gravity is. Right. I mean, uh, London is brilliant that way. We, we, we literally are GMT. We are the middle of time zone. You know, it's brilliant. We can work with Asia in the morning, and then in the afternoon, the U.S. starts to wake up, and we can work with the U.S., with the Americas. Um, whereas if you're in Asia, you really have to work in at midnight. To be able mm-hmm. to communicate with the US and vice versa. Mm. Um, and so Australia is even more extreme. <laughs> <laughs> it's so isolated and it kind of lives on its its different time zone. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do feel like I love the lifestyle there. Um, obviously, the seafood, the beach the weather all fantastic even the wine is pretty good but i do feel like it's somewhat too isolated mm. um for me for the time yeah. being whereas in london you are kind of in the middle of everything and then in the us like for the reasons that i said before you know where the world is the inflation is going up so high and yeah i mean it makes sense to be in the us because of these forces that are surrounding us today (laughs) Well,
1: as a us immigration lawyer i i i um encourage your move to the u.s that's for sure and (laughs) if you need an immigration lawyer i know one or a thousand that i can help you (laughs) um well thank you so much this was really awesome uh really this was a great conversation and um i i definitely encourage everyone to uh connect with you on linkedin um and check out alto vita uh altovita.com and of course i'll share all this information it's in the notes it's in the description in the show um wherever people are watching or listening so um i know it's late for you in the uk so uh thank you so much again for being here and yeah i appreciate it
0: yeah no thank you so much roman this has been so delightful and i really enjoyed our conversation and you really forces me to think a lot so um (laughs) love the challenge and hope that this has been as entertaining to everyone as it is for me and it's yeah it's been such a joy to be able to speak with you thank you
1: thank you you. i appreciate that